0: It's honestly, it's uneducated nonsense. Like, I've lived, I'm one of the few lucky people that's been able to live in New York City and in Toronto. So I feel like I'm maybe a little bit more qualified to talk about it than, let's say, somebody like John Heyman, who maybe has spent a collective four days in the city of Toronto. Like, yes, Toronto has our, the airport, which isn't even in Toronto, it's in Mississauga, is horrendous. Um, our national airline is awful. But when you look at it, when artists play, World tours, they'll skip Vancouver, they'll skip Montreal, they'll skip Edmonton, they'll skip Calgary, but they'll never skip Toronto. And Toronto, whether people want to admit it or not, is a world class city. It's also like the fourth biggest city in North America. So I don't know what he's talking about. I don't even think he knows what he's talking about. And I think at the end of the day, I look at it and I go, just say you didn't want to cover a team outside of the United States. Like just say you don't want to do that. They were these same people were upset when the Raptors won the championship. They don't want to have to come north of the border because frankly, they're lazy. And so I, I look at it and it was it was an opportunity for a guy to sit on a high horse and and say it was good for the game when the reality of the situation is having a guy play in a different country um in Canada it gives the opportunity for the sport of baseball to grow outside of the United States um and now that that opportunity is missed so I I disagree I don't think it's always good if the Dodgers and the Yankees are the best teams in the league I think that parody to some extent is good.
1: No, I agree. I, I As a fan of the Expos uh, and certainly of smaller market teams like Kansas City or Pittsburgh, I hate it because you can just outbid with money and that doesn't make you smarter. It just makes you richer and um, I, I know it's good for TV ratings, but TV ratings, are, are, they shouldn't be God and I I like, I, I'm sorry, but I like the NHL salary cap better because I think you can be, and the NFL has it made because like Green Bay can contend, but Major League Baseball, it, it's just idle rich playing and idle rich owners. And it's, I, I love baseball. I don't like baseball the business though.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that the whole, there's way too many media members that are sitting atop their high horses about the city of Toronto and reporting and media in general and i i generally i'm i'm pretty disgusted by some of the stuff that i'm reading it's pretty embarrassing that like these people are accredited writers and this is how they're conducting themselves you look at it and it's just like my god like some of this stuff is just ridiculous like maybe spend a month or two in toronto and i mean as somebody who's lived in both cities i'm only really worried about getting shot in one of them and i can tell you that it's not Toronto.
1: Okay. Let's talk. Let's talk hockey. Rachel Dory, our guest from Staff and Graph podcast. Calvin Pickard played very well in the two games he played previously. He played very well last night against New Jersey or yesterday afternoon. Does that give, I mean, I know he's not a long-term solution, but does that give them a little more leeway in, in possibly recalling Jack Campbell, knowing that at least, you know, right now Pickard's game is strong enough that if you have to throw him in there to get some rest for Stuart Kinner, you can do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's bought them leeway. I think bringing up Campbell right now is a mistake. He needs to find his groove as a starter, and that's not done in two or three weeks. That's probably a month or probably after Christmas is what you're looking at. Um, And we've seen the yo-yoing of prospects. It's the same thing with goaltenders, regardless of how old they are. um, It's not good for them to find their um, groove and then kind of be up and down. And Calvin Pickard kind of knows his role. He's playing well. He is the only Edmonton Oilers goaltender with an above 900 safe percentage this season so he certainly has earned spot duty in the three games that he's played and I think if you can get Campbell in a groove in the AHL where he's starting and you keep Skinner up and he's starting then you kind of got goalies that are hopefully rolling I mean Stuart Sinner's got a 931 in his last six starts it's that's good stuff, um, but you need to keep that going. And so, yeah, I think Calvin Pickard's performances have kind of bought the Oilers a little bit of time. I still don't think that the Nicole's ending is nearly good enough to be a contender, but at least he's given them a bit of a reprieve should they need to give Stuart Skinner a break.
1: Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about a former Oiler in Ethan Baer uh, who had injury issues, so Vancouver moved on and they were hoping to get him back. Looks like they're out. Washington Capitals... Are a team that that needs defensemen needs players. It looks like he might be headed there. At least the Capitals are the favorites right now. What are they getting in Ethan Barron, and, and how good is it? Like for if, for them to get him or Toronto, how much could he add to a team?
0: I think mean, I look at the Washington Capitals defense pairing. Uh I would handicap that Ethan Bear is the third best defenseman on that team. Uh, Should he sign? Like, I think Rasmus Sandin and John Carlson are probably clearly ahead of him. But then after that, you've got like Trevor Van Reen's got Joel Edmondson, Nick Jensen. Like, these are guys that you're you do not want in your top four. Um, And so when I look at it, you're getting a guy who can move the puck. He's got he's really good in transition, both offensively and defensively. He's had a horrible injury luck. Um, but when he's in the lineup, he's proven, like, yeah, he, he's, he can move the puck, he can skate well, he's very mobile, and he doesn't make, like, you don't notice him, which is exactly what you want on a, in a 4-5 defenseman. And so, when I look at Ethan Bear, I'm, I kind of look at it and say, okay, he's definitely better than 95% of the bottom pairing defenseman in the NHL, and he's probably better than quite a few number four defensemen in the NHL as well. And so I think he can help a team that really needs help on the back end. Um, Obviously you brought up Toronto. They could definitely use that. But I think with Washington here, they're willing to go term. And when you're kind of coming off the injury that Ethan bear is coming off of, and yes, you have that insurance policy. um, You want to lock in on term And, and term is going to be important because of the injuries. And so I think Ethan bear is very smart and we can't fault him for chasing the extra years as opposed to the opportunity. I think a lot of people given the injury history and, and the position Ethan is in would do the same thing.
1: So I want I know you commented several times on this online, but I want, I, for me, it's very interesting and I enjoyed your take in regard to, you know, we can pick Nick cousins. We can take Eric grid Br- Branson. That was one thing that happened, but there was, there were previous events with Ottawa and even in Edmonton with Evander Kane. seems like there's some dangerous hits. They're all being kind of handled differently. Uh, the cousins one is interesting to me because I, I think, like as a fan of hockey, I like I I know Goodbranson's going to get suspended, but I also understand why he did it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at it. The three incidents I looked at were Evander Kane on Jonas Brodin, Eric Robinson on Justin Barron, and then obviously Nick Cousins on, um, Eric Goodbranson. And if I were to order those in order of severity and a bad hit should be suspended. Nick Cousins at the top, Evander Kane second, and Eric uh, Robinson third. I thought that the Eric Robinson one was more a function of the defender turning his back, and it is going to end up being the most severely punished of the three For hits, Magnus, which I makes absolutely have the white no sense to me. Um, I, I see this because I coach minor hockey. They're teaching kids to turn. Um, I think it's, extremely dangerous um you've seen it a couple times with Luke Hughes this year that's what they're teaching defensemen to do and frankly I think they the onus needs to be a little bit on the player receiving the hit like if you turn your back right at the last second we are not going to protect you whereas with Evander yes there was a little bit of a turn into it but he Evander Kane had more than enough time to change his path and didn't and then you look at the Nick Cousins-Eric Goodbranson one, where he's three strides into the numbers, hands directly between the two fours. And then the worst part about all of it is Cousins-Turtles not once, but twice. And now Eric is going to get suspended because this guy doesn't want to answer for an absolutely brutal hit. And it could have been eliminated had they just kept the five that they had originally assessed him, because that is what, it should have been. It should have been a five. And if, we're, if we want hits like that out of the game, we need to be consistent with it. And then I look at – I don't know if you saw the Cowboys-Eagles game last night. Yes. The side, but there was a play where A.J. Brown uh, made a catch, and it was ruled complete. And immediately, first replay, you knew they got the call wrong. So what happened? New York replay center called down and said, you got the call wrong. And by the time they got back to the line of scrimmage – they had already been told. So no time was taken off. There was nothing. I think there needs to be a mechanism in the NHL for hits like this where you've got Chris King or Stephen Walkham, whoever in the war room, and they have the ability to call down to the pen- penalty box and say, that's a five. And and then off we go.
1: I agree with you. And I do think that those kinds of hits do change the game. And when you don't call them, it really changes the game because now you've fueled one side that's very angry, and we know what happens when hockey players get angry, that the issue doesn't end or get better.
0: Uh, no, it gets significantly worse. Uh, when you when you think about it, like, I think what we saw, Erica Branson was obviously the third of the three hits there, right? I think what we saw there was Erica Branson watches a ton of hockey, and a lot of players in the NHL do. Erica Branson saw what happened this weekend. He saw Kyle Oposo speak up. Um... And I think he said, well, if you're not going to call it, I'm taking matters into my own hands. And for Nick Cousins, this purported tough guy, to all of a sudden be turtling, uh, boy, oh, boy, does that label go out the window pretty quickly. Um, As far as I'm concerned, Florida has quite a few rats on their team. Um, They've got a couple really classy players like Barkov and Ekblad. But my goodness, you think even going back to last year when they had Radko Gudis, Sam Bennett, Matthew Kachuk, now you got Nick Cousins, Ryan Lomberg running around. like These guys, if you are going to not call it, and the league clearly wants the physicality in the game, then you have to be okay with players taking matters into their own hands. And the onus should be on the player to answer for it. And I, I didn't like the hit from Nick Cousins. I didn't like the response. I thought Eric Goodbranson probably could have dialed it back a bit, but I also that's a situation where he could have been seriously injured and the officials were like, eh, we'll let it slide. And so you got to pick your poison, right? You want someone to get paralyzed or do you want to call penalties?
1: That's exactly the way to put it. Uh, Rachel Dory, our guest staff and graph podcast. Final question. Wanted to ask you about Chris Knobloch. He's the, the penalty kill is better under him. The defensemen are are making more plays. They seem to be more confident making plays. And, And recently, Leon Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse, the Drysidle line and the Nurse pairing seem to be taking more defensive zone face-offs than under Woodcroft. And so I have two questions. Number one, is that on the face of it a good idea? Leon is not necessarily known as a shutdown kind of center, but he can win face-offs. And then the other side of it, how much sample do you need, like the 12 games or whatever it is under Knobloch, how much sample do you need to really to be able to call that more than just a curio and become a trend?
0: I would not have Leon Dreisidel anywhere near a defensive zone faceoff. off um, I think you have other guys like Ryan Nugent-Hawkins and Zach Hyman have been utterly fantastic for the Oilers this year um, and underrated defensively significantly. And so I think those are maybe guys you should be relying on. But there are two players that I probably wouldn't have anywhere near a defensive zone face-off, and they're Evander Kane and Leon Dreisidel. So I'm not really sure I, I agree with that deployment. They are having some level of success and 12 games is a good enough sample size for it, um, especially in a season where they've played nearly 30. That's almost half their game. Um, that's a situation where you can now say like, this is a trend if it continues and it looks like it's going to continue. Um, I'm not sure that that's the best use of Leon Dreisaitl. Um, In fact, I'm, I'm sure that it isn't. Um, and I think there are other players that you need to be able to lean on. Ryan McLeod, Dylan Holloway numbers have, have looked really good this year. And defensively, um, they've really kind of pulled up their socks. And so I think you're looking at developing kind of who else is going to contribute as Edmonton kind of tries to go on this run. And, and those are two players who can really contribute on the defensive side of the puck and maybe using them in the defensive zone as opposed to deploying Leon Dreisaitl might be a better idea
1: how long do you stay with connor brown who is clearly struggling at least offensively and the numbers show that he's you know while he's on the ice they're they're bleeding at five on five they're playing him on the second line and he's not contributing
0: he's got to go up with mcdavid or that's kind of it because as far as i'm concerned you've now soaked that bonus for next year you have to make it work there is no um reprieve there is no exception you can't allow that level of dead cap and just have this guy in the press box he needs to go up he needs to play with mcdavid and hyman and you basically have to figure out a way to make that line work mcdavid is red hot zach hyman is one of the best players in the league when it comes to driving play creating scoring opportunities if you were going to get anything out of connor brown he probably needs to be on the top line